Thank you. Thanks. I'm excited to be here. When I was in college and I'd go to chapel, I always imagined the day when I would come back and speak in chapel services, and I thought I would be the fun chapel speaker that would come and uh, tell lots of jokes and have everyone laughing, and it would just be fun, and everybody would remember me as the humorous guy who came to campus. And then uh, Bill Tibbetts asked me to come and talk to you about how the church should respond to the Me Too movement. So that will be the only laugh that you'll hear probably all day. I think the church ought to have real talk about real issues. Because I think sometimes the church has real talk about issues that nobody else is talking about. We're answering questions that nobody else is asking. And I think other times we have artificial talk about real issues. And I think it's time the church have real talk about real issues. And so I just want to get real with you for a few minutes this morning and talk about how the church should respond to a social media movement like the Me Too movement. But let's start this way. There's an old prayer that the Quakers used to pray, and I love to start out this way. If you just take your hands and put them out in front of you like you're carrying some grocery sacks, make fists out in front of you. And I want you just to just imagine all the baggage that you carried into chapel this morning. I want you to imagine all the things that are keeping you awake at night, all the problems and challenges that you're having, all of the professors that are getting on your nerves. And we're just going to pray, and we're just going to release that stuff at the feet of Jesus this morning. Jesus, we thank you that your word says we we can cast all our cares on you because you care for us. And so as we open our hands and we drop those things at your feet, we covenant with you not to pick them back up when we leave here in a few minutes. Lord, we want you to, uh, uh, we, we, we want you to take those burdens from us, and we thank you for it. Now turn your empty palms toward heaven. Now, Jesus, with empty hands, we receive what you have for us in this moment. Lord, would you speak to our hearts, challenge us, fill us, grow us in this moment, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One of my favorite passages of Scripture, Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 13, says, My people have committed two sins. They've forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. If ever there were an Old Testament Scripture that described modern-day America, that's it. It all started in October of last year with a tweet from Alyssa Milano. It said this, if you've been sexually harassed or assaulted, write, me too, is a reply to this tweet. Me too, suggested by a friend. If all the women who have been sexually harassed or assaulted wrote me too as a status, we might give people a sense of the magnitude of that problem. And within minutes, thousands of women on social media chimed in. Some simply tweeted me too. Others told in detail the sexual violence they'd experienced. By the time Milano's tweet was 24 hours old, hashtag me too had appeared in nearly a million tweets on Twitter, and in 12 million posts and replies on Facebook. Millions additional hashtag MeToo posts flooded social media in the days that followed. But here's the problem. The challenge with social media and social media movements is that all too often posting becomes a substitute for doing. Be careful what you post, by the way. It could turn into a movement that you have to live with. Don't you just love, though, when Hollywood takes credit for a brilliant, new, forward-thinking movement, only they help create the problem in the first place? And by the way, God's had the solution in place for thousands of years. Galatians 3.28 says, There's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. We are children of God, and as such, we are all equal. And if we just treat each other as equals... There'd be no need for movements or reparations or any of that. If you're unsure about how much the entertainment industry is responsible for sexualizing and exploiting women, just look at the way they celebrated the life of Hugh Hefner. The same people who vilified Harvey Weinstein just a few weeks before with the hashtag MeToo movement, 
for his treatment of women, then turned around just a few weeks later and they applauded Hugh Hefner for his work with women. Now don't get me wrong. I realize these are two different circumstances, but it's pretty indicative of how morally confused our society is. And it's yet another example of Hollywood saying to us, don't worry about developing your own moral compass. We'll tell you when sexual exploitation is offensive and when it's cool. And for the record, sexual exploitation is always offensive. Our culture is having a dilemma. The 2016 Oxford Dictionary Word of the Year was actually two words, post-truth. It describes the ethos and the pathos of our, of our culture Everything and everyone in the secular media, news, movies, social media has been oriented around this idea that there is no such thing as absolute truth. That's how people get objectified and abused. When you believe that your truth is better or more true than anyone else's, you bulldoze over anyone in your way to get what you want. Ravi Zacharias and Abdu Murray describe it this way. They, they say what we thought we always wanted in American culture and Western culture was an autonomous culture. Autonomous comes from two words, auto meaning self, nomos meaning law, self-law. And we think that's what we want, right? That we can just make up our own law, make up our own rules. We come to our own conclusions and you can't tell me what's right for me and I can't tell you what's right for you. And that sounds great in a post-truth society. It sounds great when we say that's... I can come up with my own version of the truth. The problem is, in an autonomous culture, the problem is this. If I make my own law and you make your own law, what happens when my law and your law come into conflict with one another? The issue is, if my law and your law come into conflict with one another and I have more power or more money or I'm more connected or I'm physically stronger, then I win. Even if it means abusing or misusing you, I win when my autonomy comes into conflict with yours. So here's the deal. The abuses brought to light by the hashtag MeToo movement are the inevitable logical outcome of a godless society that wants its own way. G.K. Chesterton said it this way. It's a heady quote, so I'm going to put it up on the screen. I want you to cogitate for a minute. It is only by believing in God that we can criticize the government. Once abolish God and the government becomes God, the truth is that irreligion is the opium of the people. Whether the people do not believe in something beyond the world, they worship the world. But above all, they worship the strongest thing in the world. That's the end result of an autonomous culture. If you are stronger, more powerful, more influential, you have more money, you win if there is no God. So we have a problem. We have a real problem because we have a society that has a problem with sexual exploitation and misogyny and abuse, and it's a cultural problem, but that same culture has said, there is no God, you don't need God, you can come up with your own rules. According to a study done by the Harvard Graduate School of Education, 87% of women between the ages of 18 and 25 have experienced some form of sexual harassment or assault. But the Me Too movement is simply the people who helped create the problem telling us not to worry, they can solve it. See, we have a problem, but Facebook can't solve it for us. Hollywood can't solve it for us. We have a problem, and we, the church, need to have a talk about it. Why is the church not talking more about this? Because let's be clear, everyone else is. So what's the problem? How can we solve it? What is the problem in America? Is it lust? 
Is it power? Is it, is it pornography? I think it's simpler than that. The problem that we have in 2018 in America is the same problem we've always had. It's brokenness. So how do we solve our brokenness? How do we shine the light into the darkness revealed by the hashtag MeToo movement? See, the gospel really is the bigger issue. The gospel should shape and define culture, not the other way around. The gospel is not about taking sides. The gospel speaks to the brokenness of the man who uses his power to abuse or misuse a woman. And that same gospel speaks to that same brokenness manifested in the woman who finds herself being manipulated or maligned. See, Jesus came to make our brokenness holy. He didn't just come to fix our brokenness. He didn't just come to commiserate with us in our brokenness. He, just, he didn't just come to sit next to us and be broken while we were broken. He was broken so we could be whole. Jesus came to make our brokenness holy. So when stories of brokenness are told, shouldn't they be met with grace in the church? Shouldn't the church be talking about this? In the marketplace, in the church, in the classroom, the gospel should shape our worldview and not the other way around. So our problem is not just lust or abuse or power or pornography. Our problem is brokenness. So the solution is found not just in the suppression of lust or the elimination of pornography or stricter laws regarding sexual abuse and exploitation. The solution lies in repurposing and deepening our passions around something bigger than us. See, if our passions and lust are the biggest drive, the most important thing in our lives, then we will do whatever it takes to fulfill our lusts and passions, no matter who it hurts or who it marginalizes. But if we will deepen and repurpose those passions and position them around a servant leader who lays his life down for the, for the world, we would never think of abusing or marginalizing others to get what we want. C.S. Lewis put it much more eloquently than I just did. He said this, Our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. Jesus never intended to start an organized religion that would become about political and patriarchal control. He intended to shape a movement of disciples that would change their culture with the good news about a Savior. This could still happen through the beauty of the church, not in a building, but in the marketplace. Hannah Anderson, a Christian blogger, said this, Christians believe that the world is profoundly broken, but we also believe that God is actively redeeming it and that we are part of that process. Living in this tension means having a clear-eyed view of the world as it is while simultaneously envisioning what it could be. Insofar as hashtag MeToo helps us better understand the dangers women face as we try to navigate careers, dating relationships, and even riding the subway, it's powerful. But this knowledge must also move us toward redemption. Genesis 1.27 says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Last month when Eric was here, my brother-in-law, he talked about the Imago Dei, the image of God. I want to I show you a different image. I want to show you an image of the Mona Lisa. Leonardo da Vinci's Mona Lisa, many art critics thinks it, think it's the, it, it's the perfect depiction of the perfect woman. It's, it's beautiful. It's, I've seen it several times in person in the Louvre in Paris. 
But if you, uh, if, if you go online and you just do a quick Google search, you'll find thousands of people who have maligned the image of the Mona Lisa. This is one of the images of the Mona Lisa defaced. The person who posted this posted hashtag made it better. I'm not sure that she did. But see, this is exactly what we do to the image of God in our lives. You think the Bible isn't relevant to today's issues? You can't even get to the end of the first chapter of the Bible without it addressing and denouncing sexism. The Bible makes it crystal clear from the very beginning that sexism, misogyny, and abuse have no place in anything related to God and his kingdom. When God created mankind, he created us male and female, men and women created in the image of God. And the Bible says both were made equally in the image of God. There's not more of the image of God in one than in the other. Together, God gave Adam and Eve stewardship of the world. Together, there's not an iota of sexism in what God created, but then we broke it. We rewrote our own story. Because we wanted our own rules. And when sexism and abuse became entrenched in our DNA because of our sinful natures, God addressed it again by sending his son Jesus, the perfect image of the Father, the perfect perfect imago dei, to restore in us what God intended. But we chip away at his image in us and others every day. Can I just get real for a second with some of you? Every time you masturbate to porn, you are defacing the image of God in you and in the men and women who are being objectified in that medium. You are defacing the beautiful creation of God. You weren't made for that. And let me tell you, it won't bring you what you think it will bring you because you weren't designed for that. You were designed for something better. If you got ready in the morning and you decided to blow, blow dry your hair with a handgun, it wouldn't work. Why? Because it wasn't designed to do that. If you wanted to jump out of an airplane, but instead of a, a parachute, you decided to take the normal backpack that you've got with you for your books today, it wouldn't work because it wasn't designed for that. And you weren't designed for this. Every time you do that, you become the problem. See, it's easy to sit back and judge Harvey Weinstein and and all the, the famous people in Hollywood that exploited women. He's a monster. They're monsters. But every time you deface the image of God in someone else, you become that monster. But I like having my way. I like chasing my rights. There's an old saying, when you're accustomed to privilege, equality feels like oppression. I did warn you we were going to get real and there weren't going to be a lot of laughs. When you're accustomed to privilege, equality feels like oppression. For too long, we've been concerned about our own voice, our own rights, and it's time the church stand up for the voiceless and the powerless. In John chapter 8, we read about a woman caught in adultery. She has no voice. She has no rights in that culture. She was caught red-handed, and she was about to get what she deserved according to the law, even though the guy, by the way, she was caught with is facing no judgment whatsoever. Jesus was not saying, by the way, that her sin didn't matter. He tells her to go and sin no more. It's not an excuse for her sin. He was saying, if, the, you're, if you're gonna get serious about sin, you have to get serious about your own sin, not somebody else's. The same guy, by the way, that said before you remove the 
the speck out of somebody else's eye, remove the railroad tie from your own. He was saying if you're going to get serious about sin, get serious about your own sin, not somebody else's. Jesus advocated for her. Jesus gave her a voice. He spoke up for her. Jesus protected her from violence, more violence from powerful men. When everybody was seemingly against her, Jesus was for her. Now let me ask you a question. Does what I just said describe you? Does that describe us? Are we willing to stand alone against the crowd advocating for the powerless? Are we willing to put ourselves, as Jesus did, literally in the firing line to give the voiceless a voice? Am I willing to decide in advance to be on the side that's outnumbered? Am I willing to let his power within me speak truth to the fraudulent powers of this world? See, who should intervene first and foremost when a man tells an off-color joke? The church. Who should step in when a man touches a woman inappropriately? The church. Who should blow the whistle when they know of a woman who's being pressured by a superior for sexual favors? The church. Who should rescue human trafficked girls from their pimps? The church. Who should inject themselves into what looks to be the start of a sexual assault of a woman by a man? The church should. Who should be the first to turn in a man boasting of date rape or drug rape or any other kind of sexual misdeed against a woman? Who should be the first to willingly testify, swear an oath, do whatever it takes to bring justice to bear on a heinous act? The church, because that's what the church does. Because here's the deal. We've bought a lie. Hollywood can't solve a problem they helped create. The church, not in the building, but in the marketplace, is the answer. And we need to get away from the place where we see issues like this as a distraction and see them as an opportunity to do exactly what we are here to do. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says this, Whenever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. I was a pastoral ministry student. Some of you pastoral ministry students, you're focused on exegeting the scriptures properly. You're focused on all the good stuff, right? That's awesome, right? Don't get so focused on that that you ignore the hurting people around you. Tozer said this. He said, Paul's exhortation to do all to the glory of God is more than pious idealism. It's an integral part of the sacred revelation and is to be accepted as the very word of truth. It opens before us the possibility of making every act of our lives contribute to the glory of God. Lest we should be too timid to include everything, Paul mentions specifically eating and drinking, this humble privilege we share with the beasts that perish. If these lowly animals can, acts can be so performed as to honor God, then it becomes difficult to conceive of one act that cannot. What Tozer is saying very eloquently is this. God says your eating and drinking can bring glory to him. And even the cows in the field eat and drink. So try to find something in your life that you can't use to bring glory and honor to God, and you can't do it, which means when it comes to social media movements, when it comes to sexual exploitation, when it comes to misogyny in our culture, this is an opportunity for the church to bring glory to God. Jeremiah 3.13, I started with it just a minute ago. I think it's the theme song of our generation because we have a spiritual bipolar disorder, what Paul talked about. I know what to do and I don't do it and I know what not to do and I do it anyway, right? Nobody's out there advocating in our culture saying, this is good, we should abuse people, right? Nobody's saying that, we know we shouldn't do it and yet we do it anyway. Why? Because we've traded 
the glory of God's design for our lives for a broken cistern, a fraudulent replacement. Jeremiah 3.13, my people have committed two sins. They've forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. I want to close just this way. I'm going to pray for you in just a second. And I, I'm not, it's a really delicate issue. I'm not going to ask you to raise hands or anything like that. I, but I'm going to acknowledge if a Harvard University study says 87% of women between 18 and 25 have been sexually exploited at some point, uh, that there's a lot of young ladies in this room that someone has defaced the image of God in your life. And you don't know me. But can I just say, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry that somebody, maybe even somebody claiming to represent God, maybe a pastor or a youth pastor or a boyfriend that said he was called into ministry, I'm so sorry that somebody defaced the image of God in you because you were wonderfully made. You are the Mona Lisa. And somebody scribbled on you with crayons, and that's not right, and I'm sorry. And if you're a young man or a young woman in this room, and you've been defacing the image of God in your life or in someone else's, here's some real spiritual advice for you. Stop it. Stop it now. And the answer is not in the suppression of that lust. The answer is not in the suppression of uh, you know, putting a block on your computer. That's all good. That's all good. The answer is in reorienting your life around something greater. Find something to be more passionate about than your own pleasure. Be passionate about bringing pleasure into the presence of God. And so if, if I could, I just, I just want to close by praying for you. If you're in either one of those categories, and they're just going to lead us, and you know the routine, you've got a couple minutes. If you want to come and find a place to pray, if you're hurting, please find someone to talk to. Please find somebody to pray with you. Do not go through what you're going through alone. We are not loners in the body of Christ. We do stuff together. We do life together. We fix problems together. We tackle this stuff together. Jesus, I thank you. I thank you that you came not just to commiserate with us in our brokenness. You came to make our brokenness holy. So I pray, Holy Spirit, would you come into this room? Would you begin to do just that in this room right now? The brokenness in young women who have been exploited or abused. The brokenness of young women who are saying, that's me too. That's me too. Would you make that brokenness holy? The brokenness of young men who have defaced the image of God in their own lives and in the lives of young women, I pray, God, that you would make that brokenness holy as well, that you would cause us as a church to respond and fix an issue that Hollywood created and they can't fix, but Jesus can. I thank you that that age-old saying is true, Jesus, you are the answer. We have the answer. I thank you for it in Jesus' name.